Welcome to Building a Better Bond, a Fiber Bond podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Building a Better Bond with Fiber Bond. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Today, we're chatting trade show tech and market trends. And Fiberbond just wrapped up at Data Center Dynamics, or DCD, in San Francisco. That was July 11th and 12th. And that's a show that explores the intersection of the future of data center needs and sustainable infrastructure. So today, we're going to be chatting with Hector Moreno, Director of Business Development for Fiberbond, to break down his hottest takes from DCD as well as analyze trends in prefab that are affecting data center construction. Hector, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you on. Thanks for having me again, Daniel. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, this is a pretty interesting concept. It's something I've talked on on other podcasts, um, but prefab is really taking hold. It seems like um, people have come around to it. Uh, I think there is more education around it, and um, people are seeing it as a viable option to standardize a lot of different processes in construction um, and really a lot of final end builds, right? They're starting to see, oh, for any sort of construction project in this space, prefab is the best way to go. So it's interesting to see that this is making its way to uh, data center design. Well, that's something we're going to break down here in a bit. First, I want to talk to you about DCD in particular. Uh, Was this your first DCD in San Francisco? No, it was actually our second time. It was actually our second time and we actually... Yeah, we actually exhibited and had a had a stand there. And uh, I'll be honest, last year the the traffic around our, our booth was was pretty slow, but this year uh, was the complete opposite. I mean, we had we had plenty of people come by. We had good good quality leads, and we had a lot of people that we talked to throughout the year that we actually got to see face to face. It's always good to put a face to to a name and and kind of triangulate those conversations that you have throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, I know San Francisco isn't technically in Silicon Valley, but um, you know, being in California, it's, I guess it maybe reflects some similar trends happening right now in California. Uh, do you think that being in San Francisco and that being the host city for DCD, uh, gave you any sort of unique conversations at that show or, uh, you know, brought any sort of unique perspectives to the table? I think it does. I think it does because you get a lot of the, a lot of the West coast consulting engineers and, you know, all the consulting engineers are pretty much everywhere. Um, but you have a concentration of consultant engineers and a lot of the high-end users that, that can pop in for a day, don't have to necessarily go for two days, uh, and actually make the commitment to go. So I think strategically, being in San Francisco, it does make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, you, you kind of contrast that to the DCD show in New York, where you get kind of a different flavor of, uh, of end users and consultant engineers that, that go out there. That's, that's different. It's different and unique, which is good because, I mean, the last thing you want is redundant shows, especially from a manufacturer's perspective and a vendor's perspective. You, re, you don't really want to hit the same show that, that looks exactly the same. So this gives it kind of a unique flavor, uh, in my opinion. And then do you think that being near Silicon Valley or just having um, just that tech-focused mentality being in San Francisco, do you think that led any particular conversation at DCD? I think so. I think the, the first, I don't know what they call it, the lightning panel that, that had Facebook, LinkedIn, they had Switch, they had, I think, a former Uber guy. Um, the sustainable energy part of that conversation, I think, is, is, is pretty unique. I mean, if you, if you think about the sustainability of data centers, it doesn't get a lot of play nationally right now, but I think in the near future it will because we consume so much data in data centers. Um, and, you know, you know, energy isn't cheap. It's, it's not an unlimited resource. And 
uh, how we how we get it, how we produce it, and how we you know how we manage it is is going to be very important, I think, in in the in the future, in the near future. Uh, and having the tech up, it really, from a vendor's perspective, it's not really on us to really drive it. We can develop some innovations, but really, it's the big end users, the high tech companies, that are really the drivers behind it. They're the ones that are going to have to really get behind it and really drive that innovation and change. And from that perspective, I don't think there's any other place you can do it but either Silicon Valley slash San Francisco. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to have these kinds of conversations in that area, um, especially when it's stuff like this where it's a, a tangential aspect of the tech boom. Um, you know, when you think of tech companies expanding, uh, the first thing that comes to mind probably isn't, oh, we need to make sure the data centers are are prepped and are functional and that the literal design of the space is adequate for the kind of high output that we need. Um, if you're in the industry, maybe that does first come to mind, but, but you know, for... For the outsider, it's definitely not at the forefront of the conversation. So bringing that conversation to San Francisco, to this area that is so tech-focused, you're probably going to get some of the best perspectives on this. Um, what would you say are the biggest challenges or opportunities that are facing data centers right now, and how is that reflected in some of what you heard at DCD? Well, you know, the, the, the common things in any kind of construction business, especially one that's booming the, the way data centers are, is how do you build quicker, faster, uh, quicker, faster, uh, more safely, and cheaper? Um, but, you know, the, the conversation at DCD in regards to sustainable energy, I think, you know, that gets kind of lost in, in, in the mix. You know, everyone's competing to build faster, build more reliably, you know, uh, more safely. But, you know, what are we doing with the actual energy that we're, that we're producing? How are we being responsible, good stewards of that energy that we're getting from local places and, and making sure we're not, waste, we're not being wasteful? And there's things like PUEs that, that, we can, that we can reduce. And we are looking at that, you know, from top to bottom, from end users to consultant engineers to vendors. We are looking at the bottom line there, but... Um, just from my experience, that hasn't been really the primary focus of a lot of the development that we've done personally uh, at Fiberbond with, with some of our end users. And I, I see that taking place more and more now with the drivers being those end users driving that conversation. So I think that's, that's kind of the biggest driver right now is how do we, you know, how do we, how do we harness that energy? How do we, how do we become better stewards of that energy? And then is there a new technology that, that could replace existing technology that can run more and more efficient, almost going from the, you know, uh, combustible cars to, to electric cars? You know, what, is there a shift like that in the near future for data centers? So you said data centers are needing to be built faster. Is the traditional pace of putting together a unit like this just no longer adequate for the amount that are popping up or what the end user is demanding? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So the end user has customers too, and they're not their only customers. They have customers that, that require their, you know, their, their, their service to be up and running. So, you know, there's, it's kind of a domino effect. If they're getting pressure from their customers and they can monetize, you know, that, that server rack space, they need to build faster. They need, they, the longer it takes for them to put it out to market, you know, the longer it takes for them to monetize that particular business. Um, so it puts the pressure on everyone else from, from the contractors, from the big, big contractors that build data centers to the supply chain like ourselves to challenge that and say, okay, how can we make, how can we do this faster? How can we do this more efficiently and faster? Um, and that's, you know, not to dovetail into the conversation of prefab, but, 
that's where prefabrication makes a lot of sense. Uh, it doesn't make sense everywhere, but it makes a lot of sense when we're having those conversations. And, and that's why it's, it's become a lot more prominent now than, than it was, let's say, you know, three, four, five years ago. Interesting. Okay. And then you're also saying that data centers are needing to be cheaper. Uh, is there anything motivating this beyond just the want for the construction process to be cheaper in general? I mean, obviously that's everyone's goal always, but is there anything else motivating this need for, for lower costs? No, just that. So if the, you know, if, if you're an end user and you're selling rack space at X amount, you know, per, per kilowatt or megawatt, you know, and your competition down the street is, is selling it for cheaper then they're probably, and they have very similar infrastructure, very similar security. Uh, very similar monitoring, then you know your your customer is going to go shop to to the next one over. So I think that's the biggest motivator. Uh, that's that's the biggest motivator in that regard. Gotcha. Okay. So mentioned this at the beginning, but it seems like this trend of prefabrication in construction um, is solving a lot of these issues in other markets. Uh, prefab is becoming more accessible, more trusted and more standardized. People are really seeing it as a viable, safe, and durable option compared to brick and mortar construction. Um, was this a big point at DCD? And do you feel like prefab is really going to continue to become a trend and a standard for data center design? Yeah, it, it was. I mean, it, I, I see it as a trend because I'm obviously very focused on it, but I went on uh, one of the presentations from Giga Data Centers, Jake Ring, their CEO and co-founder. I think he did an excellent job promoting uh, modular uh, data centers and what the what the advantages are from a speed uh, from a speed standpoint, cost standpoint, and just flexibility overall flexibility. Um, I also spoke to a big electrical contractor here in California that's now doing that's been doing modular prefab units for the last, I don't know how many years, two or three years. And when you see big electrical contractors who it's not really in their interest to be uh, taking any of the big scope out of their traditional uh, construction builds out of the construction build and into a prefab setting, that gives you an indication that uh, this, uh, this is not, you know, this is not a, a novelty. It's actually going to take, it's, it's taking off. And they've made some pretty significant investments to, to produce prefabricated modules. So it's it's definitely something, and most of the people that I talked to at DCD this year, all we're talking about that they're not talking about prefabricated electrical modules in a big data center build. They're certainly we're talking about it in a in an edge, uh, like in an edge solution standpoint. In that it hasn't completely become the standard. Uh, not that it hasn't been completely been the standard, but that they're getting pressure. For example, consulting engineer, consulting engineer getting pressure from a from an end user, I'm hearing about this modular construction. Well, how can we apply it in this design that we have now? And then they come to us and say, "Hey, what kind of solution can we can we produce based on a, a modular prefabricated solution?" So, why does this prefabricated trend mesh so well with data center design? What's intrinsic to data center design that makes prefab um, not only an option but something that more and more end users are asking for? Well, there's a couple of reasons. One is is parallel activity, so you can you can run you can run your construction uh, operations at a typical data center site while you're while you're building the prefabricated electrical modules and your prefabricated electrical enclosures for gen for the big generators backup generators that are on site. So as much of the parallel construction paths you can take, uh, the better. Um, that's that's number one. The, the the second the second thing you take uh, you take construction that's typically outdoors uh, and in a 
I, want, I don't want to call it chaotic because a lot of contractors do this very, very well, but a little more chaotic than when you go into a prefabricated manufactured facility that, that has lean principles already implemented. You have different work cells that, that run smoothly and flow the way they're supposed to. You get a lot of efficiencies in that. So it lends itself perfectly. And the last thing I would say is a lot of the long lead time equipment goes into the uh, electrical distribution uh, uh, equipment. And that, you don't want to wait for that on your standard brick and mortar for you to start wiring things. Uh, you don't want that to hold up parts of your, your overall construction. So what you do is you take that out of the main data center build and you put it into a prefabricated environment. Now we're waiting for, we can build the shell, us or any, any one of our competitors can build the shell and, and have it ready for integration, waiting for those long lead time items to arrive. We receive it, we integrate it, we test it as much as possible and send it to the site, uh, hopefully right in time to have as plug and play as possible into the existing data center. Yeah, I like that you specifically mentioned the safety aspect of it. Uh, you know, I think going prefab in general is going to reduce some of those on-site safety risks that come with just construction. Um, it's part of the job, but it's something that gets reduced drastically when you are just bringing the pieces to the site instead of starting from scratch on the site. Have you felt that um, that trend of, I guess, more safe practice uh, emanate? Like, ha have you felt that emanating from the people on site, from the actual workers? Are they expressing positivity around this trend? Oh, absolutely. So one of the one of the things we did when we first got into this market, you know, five five years ago. One of the big contractors we work with, we really wanted to see how far, because, you know, you can you can promote all you want. You know, we're a manufacturer, you can promote, oh, this is going to save you 20%, 30%, whatever it is. Uh, but until you actually find somebody who can actually put those points together and in a more factual way, in an honest and factual way, it's, it's hard to say. So we had a contractor that worked for, we said, hey, look, how did these skids that we put into this particular uh, client's facility how much did that actually save? Because they actually did the analysis of how many hours it took, you know, on site, whether prefab. And it said about about 50% 50, 50 of the hours were saved to do, going into prefab. And on top of that, they said the the number the number of <clears throat> the number of uh, things that had to be corrected once they delivered on site was a fraction of what their typical build would have been. Um, and and that you can't you can't really achieve that in a in a brick and mortar in my opinion a brick and mortar environment it's just very difficult to do that it's much it's much more meaningful to doing it in a prefab environment because you can standardize your processes i mean you and i can standardize a process and as long as it's repeatable over and over again and you have good qa qc uh, standards and methods it it works it, it works and you can you can check it without having you know, we're not having a flood of people around you doing different activities. And that's what usually where your risk is. When you have multiple trades working in a very confined space, that's where you, that, when you see safety concerns, that's where they usually arise. So basically, not only is it a faster process, but there's also less rework? Oh, absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then what about on the money side of things? Are we actually seeing lower costs by going prefab, at least around uh, data center design and construction. Um, I guess I guess a better question is how stark of a difference is it going brick and mortar versus uh, prefab? And I guess, you know, don't count time saved because naturally time saved is also money saved. But just from a, a literal cost perspective, um, what's the difference? You're going to love my answer. It depends. 
That's a very lawyerly answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured. Yeah, I figured. So it, it, it does depend. Most of the time, because because we're doing business, I, I'll tell you, it, it most of the time it does bear out. Not in every instance. Not in every instance does prefab make sense. And as a manufacturer, and we're very honest about that. You know, we, we do analysis for customers all the time. And sometimes the... Be, because our biggest constraint from a cost perspective, at least from a prefab standpoint, is the size of the building, getting it down the road. So if you're getting it up to the northeast of the U.S., you know, where, where you know, heights are very restricted because of uh, low, low bridges, your, your costs can go way up, uh, your shipping costs. So that's a variable that we're constantly managing. Uh, and sometimes it doesn't work out. Maybe it's in, a, in an area where shipping out there, these big, you know, 14 foot by 40 foot long buildings just doesn't make sense. And that's okay. But most of the time, and where we're shipping to right now, uh, across, in most parts of the country, it bears out. I, I'd be dishonest if I told you, uh, gave you a percentage, but it's significant enough for customers to, to really do it and do it at scale. So taking this and applying it more to the business side of your industry, has this push towards prefab changed um, any aspect of the business model for a lot of industries that provide data center construction services, um, you know, whether that is in how you communicate your solutions or um, the kinds of partnerships that you need to make to, uh, you know, find better suppliers that are, uh, you know, more matched to prefab construction versus brick and mortar construction. I guess what changes on the back end when the entire industry starts to transition to prefab? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. So what what this is what this has done, at least for us, for our business, is it's really pushed us to develop those relationships with OE with the OEMs on um, the electrical equipment that goes inside these these units. It it really it it's coordinated with them because really, so when when a customer comes to us, they don't want to they don't want you know if there's if there's four major suppliers, we're one of them, and we have to coordinate with the, with the other three. They want us all singing from the same same songbook, so it's inherent. It's you know it's in our best interest to really develop those relationships, not only from a contractual uh, standpoint if we have to contract them directly, or just from a scheduling standpoint, so that we're all hitting the marks the way we're supposed to. And all it takes is for one of us not to not to hit the mark for these projects to to go south. So from a business standpoint, that is that has changed that has changed a little bit. Um, and I think from a customer standpoint, the end user controlling their supply chain. They have much more control, in my opinion, much more control over the supply chain because they can actually purchase things and and and, and with different manufacturers, depending on what their you know what their standard practices are, they can actually have reserves of X amount of equipment in the anticipation of actually building out and going modular, going this prefab. They can build in phases. So, in other words. Uh, we've we've come up, and I won't say for which customer, but we've come up with some clever ideas. One of my colleagues, Chase Cook, did a fantastic job of developing this kind of a split purchase order for one of our clients to build the shell uh, and have X amount of shells ready for the customer's uh, supplied equipment to be installed. And once it gets to a lower inventory, then we start building more. And that way they can deploy these on an as-needed basis and not have to spend the full capital of, of the entire building with integrated equipment, they can just uh, spend the cost of the actual shell itself and then have us uh, integrate as required. That's a real advantage. It's a real game changer when it comes to deploying these things because then the customer can call up and say, okay, I certainly want eight of these deployed uh, by the end of the month. Can you integrate them in that time? And then we can, uh, depend on production uh, capabilities at the time, we can say yes or no, or this one we can have it to you. And they can deploy them on an as-needed basis. As, as opposed to starting the clock with a, with a fresh purchase order and 
waiting for the you know, 12 to 16 weeks for, for equipment to show up. And then what's great about that is it creates a ripple effect, too. So as you develop those relationships more concretely with the OEMs, um, it's not like that's just limited to the one project, right? You get a deeper relationship with uh, those OEMs, and that builds relationships for future projects and future changes that are sure to happen to the industry and new standards, new requirements from end users, Having those relationships already built out because of changes like this in the industry um, definitely must come in handy on a long-term basis. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And just, you know, triangulating some ideas like with a specific OEM that we know we've worked with, uh, with a, sp a specific end user, we work with them, we start developing this thing and they, they'll share with us, oh, you know, this particular customer uh, doesn't like top feed. We have to go bottom feed on this. Oh, this one, we they don't, you know, they, they don't like this kind of cable, and they like this kind of cable. And then those kind of things always serve the client. You know, that that brings a lot of value to the client. Those are kind of the indirect things that that you that you benefit from from having those relationships. That you don't have to figure out when you're full down the road in design. You, you figure those things out kind of on the front end. That's very advantageous. So to wrap up this conversation, do you see data centers continuing to need rapid expansion and quick construction in the future? Uh, is that what's being demanded of these large tech companies and basically your clients that are continuing to see higher output needs, et cetera? Yeah, that's that, that's a tough one to answer for more because there, there was an excellent panel on this also about where, you know, where customers were going, where they're doing 40% co-location, 40%, you know, in, in the cloud and then, you know, 10, 20% in their, in their own uh, data halls. I mean, that's, that's very difficult. I think the one, the one thing that's going to put a wrinkle on this is where the edge uh, edge data centers actually go. I know that there's micro data, micro data centers out there. There's other ones like ours that are 100 kW uh, capacity. Where those fit into the actual infrastructure, I think, is going to have a ripple effect on the back end. Whether they how how much do they tie into the hyperscale data centers or or other midstream data centers? I think that's really going to determine and how they function, how they actually function uh, for clients. I think that's ultimately going to determine what's going to happen with the expansion of, of our current data center infrastructure. I think it's going to have a huge impact. And then do you foresee prefab becoming the standard for data centers moving forward? Um, or do you ever think it'll get to that point? Or do you still see it as more of an edge solution? I, I think it will. I think it will. I mean, in the conversations we're having, I mean, I'll, let's just say, that, you know, this, is, this industry is no different than most industries it's very copycat you know the minute they see somebody doing it cheaper and faster everyone's asking why why how and you know these things aren't hidden in a in a server cabinet so they can you can see them i mean you can so it's it's a pretty obvious thing like, oh, why, are they, why are they doing that maybe that's why they're doing it let's let's explore that so let me i'll just say this that there's enough people important customers that are not only looking at this but are actually doing this to to kind of play it out so um i, I think certainly prefab is here to stay I mean, and you look Look at other industries that are, you know, I, I hear about uh, modular construction in hotels, like uh, the court, the Marriotts are building their courtyards in modular fashion. There's actually one uh, one mile from from it here in Hawthorne that that was built very very quickly, and it, it looks nice. I mean, it looks like a regular hotel from the outside. So I, I think part of it, like you said earlier, I think on the onset, the education of of what what modular and what prefab actually is. And what the actual benefits are, and then it's incumbent upon us, manufacturers like us, to actually deliver on what we promise. And uh, I can I can say I'm pretty confident on that front. Uh, so far, so good.
Well, seems like it's a critical time to be in this space as education continues to basically push prefab to the forefront of the industry and make it more well-known, you know, make it more uh, accessible, standardized. Uh, Those things are going to have a very tangible effect on the future of data centers, and I really don't think we're seeing a slow to the tech boom. Um, If anything, it's... I wouldn't say it's like exploding like it quite was, but it's definitely not going anywhere and it's going to continue to grow. And these tech giants, um, you know, they're only seeing more and more users and uh, they're needing more and more output. So the data centers have to be capable. They have to uh, you know, block out loud noise. They have to be able to be built quick and expanded upon quickly as, uh, you know, new data center rooms need to be added. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like Prefab is really going to have a uh, an important piece of this conversation moving forward. So it's exciting to see what that looks like here in the next few years and uh, see if it really does reach that point of standardization. So, Hector, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure getting to break this down and uh, get your perspective on it. Uh, Not a problem, Daniel. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Building a Better Bond. And if you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can head to fiberbond.com slash podcasts. There you'll be able to find all of our most recent podcast episodes. You can also head to marketscale.com slash industries to find more content from Fiberbond. You can also find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And make sure you leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.